You're about to listen to an Audible original. Audible produces immersive audio entertainment like you've never heard before. Enjoy the ride. Yo, you are now listening to In the Cut with Ghetto Gastro. Yeah! You know the vibes, you know the vibes. What up, what up, what up? It's your man, L.E.S., man, with the finesse. I'm Pierre Siro, Wagwan. Yo, what it do? This is John Gray, a.k.a. The Dishwasher. Movie. <laughs> Zuby. Every hood has a pizza spot, a liquor spot, a bodega, and for sure, you know, you got to have the Chinese restaurant. Jay Palace, Walk 59. This episode is all about highlighting and celebrating the influence of Chinese cuisine in the Bronx and communities across the country. And today, we have a good friend of ours, Jing Gao, founder and CEO of Fly by Jing. She's an entrepreneur and a renowned expert on Chinese cuisine. She drops some knowledge on what it means to be Chinese American and how Chinese cuisine arrived on tables across the country. All of a sudden, this thing came about known as the restaurant loophole, where people realized that they could open restaurants in order to stay in America. And we'll be joined by Rocky Shu. Rocky's our homie, confidant. We've eaten all over the world together. When your family is uprooted for, you know, reasons like of your choosing or somebody else's choosing or just, you know, macro sort of reasons and you're sort of like relocated somewhere else, you got to fight to survive. And later, you already know the vibes. We headed to the kitchen, the GG kitchen to whip up another GG original, the Black Power General style cauliflower. Dropping in the cauliflower one floor at a time. You know, you want to make sure not to overcrowd your pot. And you kind of want to, and you want to float, you want to float it in. You don't want to make sure that when you're dropping stuff in oil that you get close to the oil so that it doesn't splash. Let's get it. So before we chat with Jing and Rocky, Les, what comes to mind when you think about Chinese food spots in the Bronx? So the Chinese food for me was, was an oasis for the working family, the families that actually had late shift jobs or got off work late night. 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, and, you know, in the hood, Chinese spots was open until, like, 12 midnight, 1 o'clock. For a lot of us, this is the food that we grew up on. And not even in New York. Like, we could travel um, past the Mason-Dixon line and go to and go to D.C., and D.C. has their own culture with Chinese food, too, because they got their own mambo sauce. Like, in New York, we don't have a mambo sauce. They created, they created their own identity within their own communities, and the Chinese accepted it, which was beautiful. What about you, P? Yeah, and just to piggyback on what he's saying, in terms of, like, the, just the, the ingredients, and I won't call it a, the appropriation to, like, American society and to, like, American cultures and flavors, but that's kind of, like, what hood Chinese food is for a lot of people in the community. And when you think about just, like, what the Chinese food is done by merging things like beef and broccoli or, you know, sesame chicken and things like that. You know, it's really uh, contributed a lot to the to the cultures and everything around it. Like, it's a, it's a quintessential dish in New York. I mean, like, beef and broccoli, sesame chickens is like, it's all the, it goes from all the way from the food to the clothes. It's kind of transcended into fashion and stuff like that, so... And we got to shout out the Chinese iced tea in the courts, man. Mm. Summertime vibes. That's another collaboration between the Afro-American brothers and sisters and the Chinese brothers and sisters. Arnold Palmer. Fried chicken and 
iced tea out the Chinese Facts. Ooh, we. Or, or you can mix the iced tea with the lemonade. I mean, you know what I'm saying? The colonizers call it the Arnold Palmer, man, but we just call it a mix. Lemonade iced tea, make it nice for me, or you got to make it twice for me. On to the next one. Let's roll. Jing, Rocky, can you start by telling us a little bit about your experience with Chinese food, specifically in the U.S. context? Jing, you can start. Um, So I'm the founder of Fly by Jing, and we make premium all-natural Chinese food. And uh, we're known for our Sichuan chili crisp, amongst other um, sauces and condiments and spices. Being in this world, I've really looked deep into what the origins of Chinese American food is and kind of what also contributed to the last like couple centuries of the way that people looked at Chinese food. Because me running a Chinese food company, um, it's something that I kind of face every day. And, you know, since day one of starting this brand, just kind of facing, you know, all kinds of misinformation about Chinese food, prejudice about Chinese food, ideas that people hold about Chinese food and what it is, whether it's high quality or not, and what it should be worth. Rocky, what about you, bro? You have a different experience since you immigrated here at an early age and a different relationship and perspective on what Chinese food looks like in America. Yes, I I was born in China. I immigrated to the States with with my parents when I was about three years old. Um, And then growing up, you know, I grew up outside of D.C. Um, my mom would cook more or less Chinese food every night. And that's what I grew up on. And that's what I knew. Like, we never went out really for, you know, orange chicken or this or like certain things that have kind of speaking of like colonization or just like the westernization of of something. Right. Like, so I didn't really know hood Chinese food or whatever you want to call, you know, certain differences or or, or, or or American westernizations of Chinese food until really I got to college. I feel like Chinese food has kind of suffered some of the same stigmas that any other food made by people of the global majority. So black, brown, Asian, which is like, they're like, your food is supposed to be cheap and fast. Chinese American culture is such a fascinating history and it kind of goes all the way back to the 1800s when, uh, Chinese the Exclusion Act got put into place. And this was the first such act that legally barred Chinese immigrants from entering the country. So was, there was like rampant racism, obviously, and Chinese immigrants were kicked out or, you know, there was actually only one way for them to stay in the country, and that was to go into specific uh, areas of commerce, one of them being restaurants. And so all of a sudden, this thing came about known as the restaurant loophole, where people realized that they could open restaurants in order to stay in America. And that is how there was a proliferation of Chinese restaurants in America over the Exposing last, like, those loopholes. Exactly. That's smart. Okay. Yeah. A bit, of, a bit of ingenuity into that. I see. I see. You got to kick the door down if they're not going to let you in. You're knocking nicely, right? Exactly. And that's how Chinese food in America evolved to what it is today, because it's really a cuisine born out of resilience and extreme hard labor. And so much went into making it affordable and tasty. And Chinese restaurants really started the whole trend of like dining out in restaurant culture in America. Mm -hmm. Like we're in the Bronx and we just leave in the spot. 
And I drive past, uh, I'm on like uh, White Plains Road, and I see a Chinese, and I see a Chinese Jamaican spot. Yeah. In a Jamaican neighborhood, like, yeah. how, like how do you feel about like when you see things like that? When when your family is uprooted for you know reasons like of your choosing or somebody else's choosing or just you know macro sort of um, reasons, and you're sort of like relocated somewhere else you got to fight to survive so you got to figure it out like you you either if you're opening a business you kind of have to service the needs of you know the customers and, and and make it more palatable for them or you know maybe it's 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 what you actually have to 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 work with you know like if these are the ingredients and this is the produce that you have to work with like you're going to make what you can make from that for sure I'll say I'll say one spot that really correlates to, to fashion that's really transcended and brought Chinese food. I mean, and made it and made it popular. I feel like right now you see you hear a lot of cats talk about like Mr. Chow and like Mr. Chow's is a spot. Philippe Chow, you know, like that's 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 a spot right now. Mr. Chow, just, just just in general, right? Mr. Chow's turned like the Chinese food into it's more of an experience now. You know, like you have to dress up to go to Mr. Chow. Mm -hmm. Like you're not just you're not just pulling up to Mr. Chow in a hoodie. I mean, like you might if you rick down or whatever. But you might if you me. Yeah, right. <laughs> if you if you drip if you drippy enough, you could pull up in a hoodie. But a lot of people made you know, make Mr. Chow, like, and, you know, it's a night out. He's like, all right, cool, we're going to Mr. Chow. You go out with the homies, everybody gets dressed up. You can get some bottles to the table or whatever, and it's like a place where you show out almost like a pregame before you go to the club. Can I so, chime in? Yeah, go ahead. So I think Mr. Chow taking Chinese food and, and positioning it as a luxury experience, a luxury item, like, nah, you're going to pay top dollar for this. Like, mm -hmm. I think that's also inspiration to what we do. It's like, we're taking cuisine and stories from cultures that people have underestimated and historically undervalued and creating it as a proposition of luxury, as an illustration of opulence, mm -hmm. you know, exuberance. So I think reclaiming that power and changing the narratives around our food and our culture are eminent yeah. and essential. Yeah. Now we're in this like kind of renaissance of you know, younger generations of Chinese Americans really reclaiming that narrative and redefining what Chinese American food is and can be. You know the vibes, man. We're hopping back into the ghetto gastro kitchen to cook up another GG original. General Sal's cauliflower. Let's get it. Alright, so we gonna fire, we gonna fire it up. We're gonna make it. We gotta we gotta preheat our oil, man. And one thing about this dish, man, it's imperative that you have your oil up to 375 degrees. If not, all you're gonna be doing is just soaking up a bunch of oil in your final product and it won't be as crispy and you're gonna have to start over. So we got a head of cauliflower. Got a little flour. Got little some flour. Cornstarch. Cornstarch. Some baking soda. We need some vodka. Can you pass me that bottle of vodka up there? We're measuring out the flour, the baking powder, the cornstarch and we're gonna just be whisking our dry ingredients in a bowl and then mixing in the vodka and mixing in the water for our batter. Real easy, real easy way to start. And then in the meantime, in between time, I'm gonna break down this head of cauliflower. Make sure your blade is nice and sharp. Steel sharp and steel, man, and we kill that wheel, man. So I'm breaking down this head of cauliflower right now. We're just gonna break our cauliflower down into, you know, bite-sized uh, florets, basically. So you're just gonna cut around like the base of the florets, and uh, you can make them to you make them to whatever size you want. The, the bigger they are, the longer that they'll take to cook. So uh, you know, like nugget size, you know the vibes. And when you're making your tempura batter, man, you know it's a, it's a common mistake for people to use uh, 
baking soda instead of baking powder, man. But you know, try to pay close attention. Make sure you don't use baking soda. Uh, less is gonna add water. Adding that water. Water. H2O for the flow. Cop and go. All right, so our, so the tempura uh, is done. Tempura is ready, mm -hmm. correct? I'm just gonna lightly dust our. Um, just gonna lightly dust our cauliflower florets with a little cornstarch. That's gonna help the batter of the um, the tempura batter just adhere a little bit better. Let's make sure it's nice and. You don't think you need crunchy. a bigger bowl or good? That's good money. So for the sauce, we're gonna need uh, some mushroom dashi, some sugar, some soy sauce, some wine, some vinegar, some cornstarch, and some sesame oil. Mm -hmm. We're gonna mix that well together. We stir it until the cornstarch dissolves, and in the large skillet, we combine the peanut oil, garlic, ginger, scallion whites, red chili, and heat over medium heat, stirring for about three minutes. Add the vegetables until they're aromatic and soft, but don't burn them, all right? Then we're gonna stir that sauce mixture one more time, add it to the skillet. Make sure to scrape out any starch or sugar that has sunk to the bottom of the bowl. Cook, stirring until the sauce boils and thickens about 30 seconds. Remove the sauce from the heat and transfer back to a large bowl so we could toss that, so we could toss those fried cauliflower florets in it. Exactly. Glaze them properly. So we make that sauce, put it in the bowl, and uh, get ready to roll. All right, so in the meantime, I'm also going to chop up some, uh, some green onions, just some scallions that we can toss with this. You feel me? A true boss can't get lost in the sauce, man. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so just mix that tempura batter one more time so, that it's, so it's nice and homogenous. Batter our cauliflower one, one floret at a time. Dip it. Dip it. Don't drip it. You know, you want to make sure not to overcrowd your pot. And you kind of want to, and you want to float, you want to float it in. You don't want to make sure that when you're dropping stuff in oil that you get close to the oil so that it doesn't splash. The further you drop it away from the oil, the bigger the splash, right? So get close to the oil. Don't be afraid. It ain't going to bubble up on you. Typically, you don't really want the tempura to get too dark. Um, tempuras are typically pale, but ours, we like to have like a little melanin in all of our things. So we want it to be nice, light, golden brown, and delicious. That's the, that's the, the color that we're looking for. The texture should be nice and crunchy. You know what I'm saying? You should pull it out. Right out the fryer. Put it onto a rack and season it with a little bit of, season it with a little bit of salt. And then we're going to toss it into the bowl. Man, this looks amazing, man. All that's missing is some glaze, man. All that's missing is a little bit of sheen to it right now, which is what we're gonna do as soon as we pop it in the bowl with this. Now, it's looking like the guy. We just pop him in the bowl with the glaze in it. We're gonna toss that around a few times. Now we cooking. Now it's, now it's looking delicious. Oh, that bite is nice, man. The texture is great. It reminds you of chicken. It's a, the cauliflower's got a nice density to it. Also got a nice little chew. Crunch from the tempura is nice. The sauce is good. It's a nice balance, a little bit of spice. 
got the sesame in there. The toasted sesame notes are great and like a little bit of that fresh green onion is nice, adds a little is freshness. Is it sweet? It's a little sweet too, right? A little sweet, a little sweet, little, a sweet little toasted sesame, little nuttiness, well balanced. A lot of layers of flavor going on. That's a wrap on Hood Chinese. In this episode, we have our version of General Sal's cauliflower. Make it right so you can devour.